0: Don and Edwina brought back some memories that ladies on two and men on three and all that sort of stuff. I think it's quite nice to do. Um, It's nice when everyone sort of then joins together for the chorus at the end. So praise God. And that that hymn is a beautiful hymn. Absolutely beautiful. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. chapter 5. We'll read from verse 3 to 12 this morning. Once again I'd like to welcome our visitors and I hope you get a blessing from God's word this morning. Let's read together shall we? Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you once again this morning for this opportunity to be able to learn from your spirit. Father, we pray this morning that as we... Look into your word, Lord, that our hearts would be completely open to it. Lord, that it may be planted there and it would bear fruit, that it would grow roots and, and, and bear fruit and grow, Lord, and, and mould us and change us into the image of your only begotten Son. Father, we seek today to be challenged to be more, live more for you. We might be more perfect in your sight. Father, that we would be your children and that we would do those things and walk those paths which you have for us. And, Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the wonderful fellowship that we have. But first and foremost, we thank you for the wonderful salvation which we share, which was given to us at Calvary. We ask that you'd be glorified through this service and in this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the second uh, sermon now in a series of sermons that I'll be delivering on what will be called the Sermon on the Mount. And as I mentioned last week, the Sermon on the Mount is the, singest long, the single longest uh, discourse that Jesus gives at any one time. It's three chapters long, and he gives it in one sitting. Um, and we're going to be looking at this particular, at least three chapters, in the coming weeks and possibly months. You know me, I don't tend to uh, gloss over too many things. So we're going to be looking at, the, at this uh, particular thing over here. And well, the aim of this thing is uh, to help us to look at ourselves in relationship or in relation to what Jesus is teaching that we might be the children of God that we might examine ourselves and we might grow through this thing so that's the goal over here and this morning we're going to be looking at a particular passage which are normally referred to as the beatitudes okay so the beatitudes are the first this first few verses of, um, of chapter 5 in Matthew and they, are, they sit like a poem at the beginning so Jesus starts off his sermon with basically a poem and each verse starts with Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek so Jesus is starting this thing off in a very simple fashion for the for the crowds and the many people who were listening, something you could easily memorize. Okay, um, when I think of the Sermon on the Mount, I think of it. Reminds me of other um, documents that that men put together, which form the foundation for either a society or a particular philosophy or belief. And this is, in a sense, Jesus Magna Carta. This is his. This is his foundation stone for what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is the full revelation of who God is and what his kingdom represents. And more significantly, what the citizens of this kingdom look like and how it will be. So we're looking at this, and when I, when I look at this particular thing, and you look at you know, uh, the great documents in the world, you look at the Communist Manifesto, and that's the foundation for communism, and, and you look at, the, at different constitutions in the world, and that's, that's the, the, the basis for different societies. This is the basis for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus starts it off with these beatitudes. Now, beat, the word beatitude simply means supreme blessing, a really big one. Big blessings or a happiness that goes along with it. And we find Jesus discussing the blessedness of a particular type of person. And these people are what we call the citizens of heaven. So this is the context of this whole passage. So this whole this whole these three chapters need to be seen in context of the kingdom of heaven. Look at me. Look at verse verse 3. It says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 10, chapter 5, it says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 19. Go down to verse 19 for a sec. Shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Then it says also in 19, Shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you you flip across to chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Thy kingdom come. When he was teaching them how to pray. Chapter 6 verse 33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Chapter 7 21 says, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what's the context of Jesus' message here? It's all about the kingdom of heaven. Now what does have, what does this have to do with us? Well, Jesus is going to tell us a lot about what it has to do with us. Some people have tried to, to make this mean something totally different, but you know something? If you've Put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You are, today, a citizen of heaven. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along this morning. Now, just to, just to make things perfectly clear, we love our democracies, don't we? We love democracy. Because where you have democracy, the people have a say in who's leading them. But the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. Even for us who, who love the Westminster system and think it's a very good system of government, it pales into insignificance compared to the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy, it's a kingdom. Kingdom with subjects and specifically with a king. Okay? And the king of that of this particular kingdom is God Himself. Alright? So the kingdom of heaven only has one king. But the interesting thing about the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus was born in this earth, came down to earth with him. The kingdom of heaven has broken into the kingdom of this earth and the darkness of this earth. And, and you and I, if we've put our faith in Christ, are citizens of that kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus had come... As a light into this world and the world did not receive him, it did not recognise him. And it says it did not look at that light or want that light because their own deeds were evil and they preferred the darkness. So this is, there is a, is a, a contrast between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world. And the Bible says the God of this world... He's the same God that that is, the Bible says, the the prince of the power of the air. He's the same God of this world who has corrupted the minds of, of people so they can't see and understand the gospel. There is a war going on, literally a war, a spiritual war that exists around us and sometimes within us for dominance. And the thing we need to understand when we speak about the kingdom of heaven is that it has not been fully ushered in yet. Believe it or not, it hasn't fully arrived. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, as I've mentioned before, you are citizens of this, of this kingdom. But you know something? The Bible speaks of us as ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents a kingdom who is not living in his own Home, who is not living in the country that he represents, in fact, he has gone out of his country in a different country, he now represents another country. Do you understand how what the, what the what the, uh, the picture is here? You and I need to understand that this is not our home. We represent the kingdom of heaven in this world. This world is not our home. The Bible teaches that over and over and over again. We represent a kingdom. With a king. And we need to understand that the way we behave is a reflection on our king and on the kingdom. The way people see us and what we do will form in their mind what type of kingdom we represent. And this is why we also pray for this kingdom to come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. It hasn't arrived yet. But we pray for the day when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and he takes up his throne on this, in this world. And he becomes the king of this world as well. And the, at that point, the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of, or, or this world are united and become one. The kingdom of heaven will be the kingdom of this world. We have much to look forward to. But the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is accessible to, to men now. It's not something that is far away that people don't have access to. In fact, God's uh, immigration service is, is working overtime. The doors are fully open. And any man and woman that chooses to become a citizen of this, of this kingdom can do so. Without any, without any works of their own, without any effort on their own, without even having to qualify with having to live a certain type of life or whatever it is, you come empty-handed. I come from a a family of immigrants. And a lot of them came to this country with very little. They were very poor over there in Italy. And when they came to this country, they were seeking for a better life. And they worked hard. And they made a better life for themselves. That's the wonderful thing about Australia. It gave us and has given us wonderful opportunities to actually improve our lives. When we think about that, think about how much more opportunities there are in the kingdom of heaven. When you become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, you are much more than just a person. You become a child of God himself. You become adopted into his family. You represent him and his authority now. And God dwells within you and works through you. And what you do in your life, what you accomplish, will depend on how much you want to serve Him. The Bible says here that the kingdom, the people of the kingdom, are blessed. Okay, it says blessed a number of times one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and it says the ninth as well. There are nine blessings here. (coughs) But it might help us to understand what the word blessed actually means. The word blessed always implies that the one doing the blessing is, help me here, who's doing the blessing? God. God is doing the blessing. We don't do the blessing. We are blessed not because of our own efforts. We are blessed because God is the one doing the blessing. To be blessed means to be favoured by God, means to be honoured by God. And blessed is a passive term. You sit back and you enjoy it, okay? You're receiving something, much like we received salvation, which we didn't earn. That was a blessing. You understand? So, the one who is blessed is receiving favor from God. Now, for those of for those who are blessed in the kingdom of heaven, the question is: Why are they blessed? How is it that they're blessed? And looking over this list, if you look at look over it, you're immediately struck with some um, some strange things. because if you look at those those things or those verses that, that says that where they're blessed, it doesn't seem that they're living a very happy or favored life, does it? The qualities of blessed on Jesus' list are not what we would normally consider. To be blessed. And I think when Jesus, the followers of Jesus were listening to these to these things, they, they probably had these questions running through their minds as well because they had a good idea of what it meant to be blessed. I mean, they were taught that by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all, the, all those guys. They, they were taught the same thing. And most people today would believe the same thing. They believe that to be blessed by God meant you be blessed with good health, isn't it? you'd be blessed with a good reputation, maybe you were esteemed maybe you had a good reputation in your, um, in your community you'd be blessed with some sort of wealth I mean how can God are you blessed when you got nothing you'd be blessed if you had families and friends that loved you isn't that a blessing these are the qualities that we also tend to associate with being blessed Aren't these some of the things we pray for? Don't we pray for our families? Then we want good relationships. Don't we pray the Lord provides us with jobs than when we don't have, have a job to be able to provide? We pray for health as well, don't we? Is it wrong? No, no. But we tend to think we tend to think of blessings as being rich now rich in health, rich in friends, rich in family rich in in all these things in reputation but Jesus is saying there's a different type of blessing here that these things aren't the first things that we should be considering when we're looking at the term blessed we tend to think of people who are blessed as being complete overflowing, happy, full Jesus is saying, hang on a sec there's going, to be some, there's going to be times when you're going to be lacking, longing, wanting, and not getting. The truth of the matter is that blessedness doesn't come in the first part of these verses. The blessing comes in the second part of the verse. And sometimes we get a little bit confused with those things. Because we want the blessings. When, when would you like the blessings? Would you like them yesterday? Because I think all of us would like all the blessings today. We'd like to have them all now. And God says, you're not going to get them all now. You're going to endure for a time. And you may get blessings along the way, and we'll look at some of these as we're going along. But in in majority, you'll be getting the blessing after. The blessings come in the second part of the verses. Now look at the the verses. It says in verse 3, Look at the second parts. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a blessing. For they shall be comforted. That's the blessing. For they shall inherit the earth. For they shall be filled. For they shall obtain mercy. For they shall see God. For they shall be called the children of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, for great is your reward in heaven. The majority of our blessings will come in the end. Which means what on our part? There needs to be patience. The people in the kingdom of God shall be blessed. It is certain according to God's word because God never tells a lie. God is always able to fulfill his promises. That's why the Lord says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. You can rejoice now, even though you may be going through tribulations and trials, distress, um, famine, whatever, it may, you, whatever you may be going through in your life, family problems or whatever else it may be, you can still rejoice now. Because if, if you are a citizen, and we'll look at this now as we're going through it, if you are a citizen of heaven, you have much to look forward to. Much. If you endure all these things, understand that God has not abandoned you. Sometimes it seems when we go through difficult times that God doesn't love me anymore. Oh, God loves you. God's not like us, who tend to switch off and on and off and on, depending on our circumstances. God isn't affected by circumstances. God isn't affected by his emotions. God isn't affected by outward forces, God's constant And we can trust in his love because it never fails, regardless of what we do, regardless of who we are. God continues to love and he continues to do good to us. The people of the kingdom realise their longings, the things that we sometimes long for, can't be satisfied with things in this world. They can't. We can want certain things, we can desire things, things that God has planted within our hearts. And we need to understand that those longings can't be found in this world what we do understand is that they will be realized later on and in many cases God will give us tastes of that blessing during our lives as well let's look at some of the qualities of these citizens of heaven what do they look like what does a citizen of heaven look like how do they behave what distinguishing features do they have that would contrast them with someone in the world? You see, if I'm a citizen of heaven, there needs to be some sort of difference between me and, uh, and, and the citizens of this world. Shouldn't there? Of course there should be. The difference shouldn't be like this. The difference should be like this. Before we look at these distinguishing features, I want you to understand something very important here. A very important point, that the citizens of this kingdom don't just possess some of these attributes, not just some. You can't be just poor in spirit. You can't just be merciful. You can't just be or have a two or three out of, out of eight. There's about eight of them here. You can't have four out of eight and get a pass mark. It ain't work like that. The Bible teaches us that the citizens of heaven have all these things. This is what epitomises them. In other words, look at this. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, okay? So someone who's a citizen of heaven is poor in spirit. But how can a person who's poor in spirit not hunger and thirst after righteousness? You can't. How can someone be mournful but not be pure in heart? Look at, the different, look at the different attributes. There's poor in spirit, those who mourn, those, who, those that are meek, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, those that are merciful, persecuted for righteousness' sake, peacemakers and pure in heart. If you would identify a citizen of heaven, they would possess all these traits, all of them. You can't be poor in spirit. Now think of this. You can't be poor in spirit and unmerciful to someone else because that doesn't make sense. You can't can't mourn and be a a warmonger as well and not be a peacemaker. That's impossible. How can you be a mourner over sin and, and make war with other people? How can you be meek and persecute other people? You can't do that. You cannot be hungry and thirsty after righteousness and not be pure in heart. These things all work together. And these things, if you look at them, are like a piece of fabric that's been woven together by God and form one fabric. If you begin to try to unravel the fabric or take out one or two of the thread or threads, what happens to the fabric? It falls apart. It's no longer fabric, but simply the threads. And you don't have the same person anymore. So these things fit together. And if you look at the structure, it actually, it actually, it's structured like a sandwich. Jesus did this specifically, or for this specific reason. The structure of these eight verses is constructed like a sandwich. It begins and ends at the same place. Notice how it says, the poor in spirit. What, what is theirs? It says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it finishes with, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's your sandwich. And everything in between are the blessings that come in between. Jesus made it so that this is the package you get. This is everything. This is what a citizen of heaven looks like. But the important principle I want you to understand is the citizen of heaven has all these things, not part of them. And this is the same in scripture, taught throughout all of scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me. We'll look we'll look look at three other examples of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll look at verse 4, 5, 6 and 7. Now when it speaks of charity here, you know, you understand that charity is uh, another word for love. Okay? Charity, look at the definition of charity. It suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Can I ask you a question? What is love? Is it some of those or is it all of those? It's all of them. You can't can't be suffereth long, which means to be patient, and then not be kind. You can't uh, envy not, but then puff yourself up at the same time. It's all a package deal. True love has all these things built into it. You can't separate it. You can't say, I'm going to be kind one day, but be puffed up the next day. That's not love. Because love has all these things. It doesn't separate them. It's those things that picture what love is. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me. We'll look at another example. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. You've read this one before. The fruit of the Spirit. Now before we read the rest of this verse, how many fruits are there? You've done this in Sunday School Adventure. There's one fruit. There aren't many fruits. There's only one. But it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against there is no such law. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's all those things together. Is it some of those things? No. Because the genuine fruit of the Spirit is all those things encompassed into one. It's a package deal. You can't separate one from the other and say, hey, look, I'm, look, I'm, um, look I've am look, i got joy but now long suffering, I'm not a very patient person. And when that person gets me upset, I'm gonna make sure I fix them up. Or, you know, I'm gentle. Well, sometimes I'm gentle. But this meekness business hey, I've got to assert my authority. It all goes together as a package. Sometimes we look at these lists and tell me if you've you've done the same. You look at this list and you say, well, I think I'm okay over there. I think I'm right over there. That one I've got to work on a little bit more, isn't it? But the genuine fruit of the Spirit is all these things. And you think, but how do I keep track of all these things? How do I I know? How do I know I'm lacking or, or, you know something? It boils down to one thing. It boils down to your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it boils down to, because the people of this world, of this world, can look at this and say, "Oh, look at that! Love, that's a good thing to have. I'm going to try and love everyone. And joy, yeah, I'm going to try and be a happy person. And peace, yeah, I'm going to meditate every every day in the lotus position and have peace. You see, the people of this world look at this, look at these uh, things, and they say they are good things to have." They are good things to do. Can anyone really argue against these? Can anyone say gentleness is a wrong thing or goodness is a wrong thing and meekness and temperance? Can anyone say that those things are wrong? No, because the people of this world understand that these things are right. The question is, for us, whether these things are the fruit of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. You see, Peter also says the same thing. He says, And beside this, you don't have to turn there, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things being you and abound, uh, they uh, they make you that they shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not those things that give you the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not those things that you say, all right, number one, I have to add... Diligence, all right? So number one, for the next couple of months, I'm going to work on diligence. And then later on, I'm going to work on the uh, faith. Okay, I'm going to work on the faith later on. All these things work together for the child of God, for the citizen of heaven. You see, it's who you are on the inside that manifests itself on the outside that makes a difference. That's why all these things have to work together. It's not us trying to do these things The question is whether we are these people. So, all these graces or all these attributes are interrelated to each other. And they are possessed by the children of God. Because if God gives you a new nature, that nature possesses all these things all at once. The nature that God has put within you and I has all these things. The question is whether we allow this nature to grow That's the question. It's what relationship I have with Christ that will determine whether I do these things. Because if I try to do these things, I'm working from the outside in, but God never works from the outside in, God works from the inside out. God works on your heart and gives you a new one, and then that heart actually generates and flows out, outward, back to God. It reflects back to God what he has put in there and reflects to man the nature of God himself. That's what we are looking at in these next few, few uh, weeks and months. It's who we are that makes all the difference. Let's look at some of these characteristics. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Very simply, poor in spirit means to have a humble opinion of yourself. A humble opinion of yourself to be sensible, to, be, to understand that we are sinners before God. That we don't match up to his wonderful and beautiful standard. We are far short of that. We have no righteousness of our own to, be, uh, to, be, to boast in. All, all we can do is rely on the mercy of God. Convicted by our own spiritual poverty. This is what being poor in the spirit means. We understand we are spiritually poor in ourselves. Everything that, that's good within us, God has put there. We have nothing to offer God. Turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 10 with me for a moment. It's probably one of the most exact examples we can look, we can see about what it means to be poor in spirit. I was hoping to get through four today, but we'll probably get through less. Luke chapter 18 verse 10 it says two men went up into the temple to pray the one a Pharisee and the other a publican the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even as this publican I fast twice in the week I give tithes of all that I possess and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Do you see the picture of what pouring spirit means? That's exactly what it means. I couldn't explain it any better than that. I don't, that doesn't need any more explanation. I don't believe. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's who God is looking for. That's the heart that God can work with. The proud heart, the heart that thinks that he has something to offer God, the one that thinks that I'm going to come to God and God's going to be impressed with who I am and what I do, is the one that God can't work with. The one that God can't inhabit. God needs a broken heart to work with. God doesn't work with a heart of stone. You may have noticed already that this very first, this very first quality is required before someone can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No one will ever accept what was done for them at Calvary if they think they're good enough to get to heaven on their own. The very first thing you need to understand is that you are a sinner before you will accept Christ. The first thing you need to understand is that you need to be broken before God before he can come and heal you. Unfortunately, we live in a society... And now churches are filled with people who are the exact opposite. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm strongly of the opinion that we live in what we, what we would call the Laodicean age. The Laodiceans were neither hot nor cold. They were rich in many ways, but they were poor. And they, neither, they never really believed. And Jesus says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're not really part of me. And we're having a discussion with... Uh, One of the fellows over here. I won't. I don't embarrass embarrass him or anything like that. Anthony, sorry, I won't embarrass him. (laughs) We're talking about whether these were genuine Christians or not. Were these people genuine Christians? Well, I know when. I know that the Bible says that we are the hands and feet, and we, we are the body of Christ on this earth. When you when you eat something, though, that's poisonous. When you ingest something and it goes in into your stomach and it begins to be digested, but it ain't good for you, what does your body want to do to it? It wants to get rid of it. In other words, it wasn't right in the first place. And there are many, I believe, who have entered into, in a sense, the kingdom of God, who are attending church and doing all these wonderful things and they label themselves as Christians. And, but in the end, the Bible says that they're not saved. They put the form of a Christianity on. The Bible says there are those who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. The form on the outside is godly, but on the inside is full of death. Same was happening with the Pharisees. On the outside, they were quite esteemed by their own generation. People looked up to them as godly men and teachers. These guys knew their Bibles backwards. They had them memorised. They were teaching in their churches. Their whole lives were devoted to serving God in the temple and, and teaching people for the Bible. But Jesus says, oh, you guys are like whitewashed tombs, white on the outside but dead on the inside. Oh, hang on a sec. These guys were doing, were, were, were doing much more than the average person was. They were tithing every, every ounce and they were, they were doing all these things. And people looked at that when Jesus says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And people said, well, who can be saved? What chance do we possibly have? But the genuine citizen of heaven has been converted on the inside and it flows out. Not like a whitewashed tomb on the outside, more concerned about what other men will say about you rather than what God says about you. Have a listen to Jesus warning to the in church. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. Hey, we live in a culture that is rich beyond any previous generation. If anything epitomizes rich, it's us. The previous generations that came before us had this much compared to us, and they did much more with it. We have this much, and we do this much with it. And the lay to see and say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not thou, thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness, uh, nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesal, that they may see. These were blind people. Without the righteousness of God, thinking they were fine, but inside they were dead. And Jesus threatens, I'm going to spew it out of my mouth. They weren't part of his body yet, they were at that stage still undigested. And I think I'll close it with that one there this morning. I wanted to do four this morning. Hey, you know me. I wanted to give you four of those things and I thought, hey, we'll go through half today and we'll go through half next time. But I think we'll leave it at that because poor in spirit is where we have to start. That's where the Lord starts. And Sometimes we think that we are much greater than what we actually are. The danger is that at one stage we came to the Lord with hearts broken and we came before him and we said, God, forgive me a sinner. And I accept the wonderful salvation which you're offering me through that cross now. And I believe that Jesus died for me and that, and that his blood was shed for me. And I accept that, Lord. And I, and I ask you to forgive my sins and, and, to, and to make me your child. And we said that and we, we had our hearts broken and many of us cried when we did that. And we found ourselves years later down the track where their hearts disappeared. The heart's no longer there. The broken spirit before God is no longer there. And what we've done is, through, throughout the years, the devil's had, had a good job, or done a very good job of actually convincing us that we are somehow good enough. That we have all the takes. That we don't need to be broken before God anymore. We are, we are great. In our own eyes. So let's examine ourselves this week. You know what I would love... I would love as we work through these things that we would memorise these verses. There is a a, a deep um, benefit from having the word of God hid within your heart. And my desire for us over the the coming uh, weeks is to understand, listen, it's really for us to understand ourselves. That's the goal. Because I'm convinced the heart is deceitful above all things and God tells me that so I can convince myself and deceive myself for years and years without even knowing it. And there's an illustration that, that we watched just the other day. We watched, uh, watched a wonderful movie, which was uh, quite convicting. And he said, the illustration he gave was this. He said, he was driving down the highway seeking to go to a particular place. And as he, was, as he was driving down, this is hours and hours of driving, he said he got to a place that wasn't the place he was meant to be. Instead of arriving at a particular city he arrived at a different city which was still more than one hour away from the city he was supposed to be at and he realised that somewhere along the way the road that he was on split and instead of taking one road he took the other road which brought him to a place that was different to the one he had intended to go to and the challenge that he had or that he he gave is that he believes there are many Christians in this world who have cranked the music up in their car Christian music maybe you've got the Jesus bumper sticker at the back you know? and everything is rolling along just fine you put it in cruise control and I've got everything I need Everything's just fine I know where I'm going but you're not really paying attention to the signs and before you realise it way down the track and sometimes too late you realise you've wasted years and years of your life because you haven't been on track you end up at a destination that was totally different to where God wanted you to be because all the while, you thought within yourself, I'm fine, everything's great. I don't need to look at myself. I know what I'm doing. But how many times do we convince ourselves that we're fine? How easy it is it to point the finger at everyone else and say, look at the mistakes and that guy over there, and look how many mistakes there are. Thank God, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. Or I'm not like her. Thank you, Lord, that I go to church every Sunday morning and, you know, and I do this and I do that. Thank you, Lord, that I'm like that. That's not where the answer is. The answer is to understand that each and every day that we need to come before God humbly, understanding that every breath that we have was given to us as a gift and we need to honour him with that breath. Let's remember that anything good in us was only put there by him. And let's seek to live lives so that honour our, our Lord and our Saviour. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you can't be a kingdom of heaven, you can't be a citizen of heaven. You can't. And as much as you try to do these things, as much as you try to love everyone else, and as much as you try to, to do all these works, the Bible says that they only become filthy rags to God. There is nothing really to show because our love really pays the powers and the insignificance compared to God's love. Our meekness is really not meekness at all. But the only chance, the only thing you can do is to accept the new nature that God has ready to give you. And he's ready to plant that in your heart. And then what you do is you say, thank you, Lord. And you ask him for the grace that they would grow. God bless you. Thank you.